3: Hi, well, welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. Uh, this hour, we're going to be joined by Senator Tommy Tuberville. And we also have a, another guest. It is Alan West, Lieutenant Colonel Alan West. So uh, we'll get all over that. Uh, we're going to be following the events that are taking place today. The president of the United States back from vacation. He is now out west talking to talk about green energy. Good luck with that. You want to sell green energy, and that might be great to your left wingers. But with people paying more for gas right now, paying more for their car right now, paying more interest, on Everything uh, that is all related to the energy industry that you put to the side because you don't like it. Uh, I do. And I'm pro oil and gas responsible. And that's going to be his message. It's called Bidenomics. Yeah, we'll talk about that. General Ryder is going to be holding a press conference with the Pentagon today. He's the press secretary there, and he's going to be talking about maybe two summers since the disastrous leaving of Afghanistan, as well as what happened off Alaska. It was in international waters, but we watched military maneuvers off our coast between Russia and China. So let's get to the big three.
2: Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three.
4: Number three. For the Secretary of Defense, General Austin. The head of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, General Milley, to say that they're satisfied with the withdrawal of our troops is nothing short of disgusting and ignorant.
3: Yeah, that is Darren Hoover, whose son died in the explosion when the suicide bomber came to uh, Karzai, uh, Karzai Airport. Ignored. Lied to, mischaracterized mission. Yes, it's been two summers, but we have not forgotten about the botched withdrawal from Afghanistan. And for the 13 families who lost a family member, they finally have their chance to voice their frustration. The horrific Afghan exit has hurt our nation's reputation and at the center of our cratering recruiting. You'll hear more from the families.
5: Number two. The president said he had no involvement. No involvement except dinners, phone calls, and 30-plus meetings with Hunter Biden's business partners. And all they talked about was the weather, we're supposed to believe?
3: Right. Another piece. The puzzle being assembled around the Biden family business. It's making the president look more disrespectful and dishonorable by the day. Distrustful, I should say. Another Hunter cohort, so-called money man, was found to have met with Biden 36 times when he was vice president. Can you say influence peddling anyone? Millions involved. China at the center.
1: Number
0: one, I think this motion is tone deaf and that there's a point here that if you're going to try the leading Republican candidate for the presidency during the presidential election, he's going to have to be able to talk about this case.
3: Yes, Trump on trial. Former president makes his case to keep his First Amendment rights on January 6 trial, and the judge slams Jack Smith's team for a series of questionable moves. So far, forty-five. Uh, for, so far, the forty-fifth president leads all. We review the rest of the field and who has made the debate cut. So far we got eight that uh, just made the debate cut. Mike, Vice President Mike Pence. Uh, just made it, and it looks like Mayor Suarez is about to make it. He has got the donors. He just got to get up at a couple of polls, and he'll be in, at least for the first threshold. It'll be very important for him to show himself. It'll be the last gasp because it's going to go higher and higher with each debate as they pass by. I don't want to take too much time from Senator Tuberville, who's coming up next, so I just want to be very aware that many of you did not follow the news last night. But just so you know, a judge ordered a hearing after Donald Trump's lawyers say a proposed protective order would infringe on President Trump's right for free speech, which means if he talks about anything involved with the case, they say he could go to jail. There's no way he should be able to do that. How are you supposed to run for president and do that? Side note, there's 84 people in and around the president's life that he was told he can't talk about the case with. Eighty four. Now, Evan Corcoran's his attorney. Evan Corcoran is a witness against him because they flipped him uh, and breached uh, lawyer-client privilege because they said that he was complicit in a crime. He's a member of his defense team. Is Donald Trump not supposed to talk about any cases with him? And also, prosecutors with Jack Smith's team quickly uh, countered with their own filing, assessing that Trump— Objecting to their proposal because he wants to be able to use the government's evidence to try the case in the media right in the courtroom. well, you got to think about that before you charge a sitting pres- excuse me a former president who wants to be the next president. There's no way you can limit what he says when it's the number one topic in the news and maybe top five in the world. so they'll accuse him over and over again of not re- refusing to talk about the case, but you could talk about it. DeSantis can talk about it. Biden can talk about it. But Trump can't talk about it, so the judge in the case, who clearly is a was an Obama voter, um, voter and supporter and donor, who has been very tough on the January 6th cases, who is in Washington D.C., uh, re- responded to the filing because the Trump people said we got to use our First Amendment rights. Uh, by ordering a special counsel Trump's legal team to give her two proposed dates and times by Tuesday at 3 p.m., that's today, for a hearing on their dueling protective order motions. So here we go. Uh, Game on. Meanwhile, John Laurel, Trump's attorney, responded to the prosecution motion minutes before the 5 p.m. deadline yesterday. The government requests the court assume the role of censor and impose content-based regulations on President Trump's political speech. So He doesn't think that's right. He's going to go to fight for it in court. Now, Laura went on to say President Biden has likewise capitalized on the indictments, posting a thinly, thinly veiled reference to the administration's prosecution of Trump. Because remember, he's holding up that comp that said evil Brandon or dark Brandon. A lot of people took that as we're coming after you, Trump. So Trump came back on Truth Social and says, you come after me, I'll come after you. And that's when Jack Smith says he's threatening me. No, President Biden threatening Trump. Do you realize how juvenile this is? But do you realize how complex it is? It's impossible for even the most disciplined candidate, which Trump is not, to not go afoul the law and the rules. So what are you going to do, arrest the Republican leader for the nomination or the Republican nominee because he violated an indictment clause because he's in public arena taking a question from Wolf Blitzer or Sean Hannity or Brian Kilmeade and you don't like the way he got offended or he offended you with his answer? Meanwhile, let's go to the Mar-a-Lago case. Judge Eileen Cannon, who was reappointed by Trump, asked Special Counsel Smith and his team to respond by August 22nd uh, after they came out uh, and the federal judge uh, uh, about the classified documents and asked prosecutors why they had used grand juries in Florida and in Washington to build their case. He's like, if you're going to take the case to Florida, which is her court, Eileen Cannon, Why'd you, why do you keep it in Washington, a grand jury, and why do you keep one in Florida? What are you trying to do? Why do you need two grand juries? What are you after? Are you asked to justice or are you just have for conviction? A lot of people think they're the same thing. I don't think so. So they've had a problem. Uh, Cannon's had a problem with the way Jack Smith's approaching this. And they're of quick. He'll watch other channels and say, well, Cannon's a problem. Loves Trump. Okay. Uh, traveling with the Trump team, Jason Miller and Boris Epstein, both of whom were involved in the post-election challenges in 2020 and were interviewed by prosecutors. They are key aides to President Trump. Is he supposed to not talk to them? As I mentioned, Evan Corcoran, whose detailed notes gave prosecutors a roadmap to indict Trump, many say, with the classified document case. He remains on Trump's legal team. Is he not supposed to talk about the case with his lawyer? And if he does, you going to arrest him? Really? you going to arrest him? You think this country's not going to come apart at the scenes if you arrest a guy for talking to his lawyer? Good luck with that. And real quick, uh, you can't ignore... The Hunter Biden, Joe Biden story much longer. I'm warning you. I don't care who you are. Because now we have uh, another member of the – and we knew this because Peter Schweitzer's book came out two and a half years ago. Of the Hunter Biden's team came out and it turns out he met with President Biden when he was Vice President Biden 36 times minimum. Signed a book. How many times did he meet informally at Starbucks or go out to Delaware or Hoboth? We don't know. But if you met 36 times on the books – Are you still going to hold to the fact that you didn't discuss your son's business dealings? This is the money man. This is the guy that would text message Hunter Biden and say, hey, you got to get this money from your dad. Hey, you got to make sure to pay these taxes. Hey, you have this bill due. You're overdrawn here. This was the money man. This was the organizer. I think that it looks like Devin Archer was the smartest guy among them. It looks like these other guy, Sherwin, is the second smartest. And the guy that was needed because of his last name
5: was Hunter Biden. And guess who thinks that? Hunter Biden, cut 13. And then, of course, what spills out of that is the 51 former intel officials and their letter where they say it's a Russian information op, has all the earmarks of a Russian information op. And the long and the short of it is the American people are denied access to an important story. That was the true election interference, I believe, in 2020.
3: And Jordan goes on to talk about this is their spin. It's the illusion of access to President Biden. He wasn't really giving you, when he was vice president, access when he was his senator. He was the illusion of access.
5: Listen to this. No, no one's buying the illusion, I would hope. Cut 14. The president said he had no involvement. No involvement except dinners, phone calls and 30 plus meetings with Hunter Biden's business partners. I mean, what? what, And 30 plus meetings, 20 some phone calls, dinners with the the wealthiest woman in Russia. And all they talked about was the weather we're supposed to believe. And the Democrats say this is some illusion of access. That looks like real access to me when you got 30 some times Hunter Biden's business partner is showing up at Joe Biden's house or at the White House having meetings with with the vice president while he's vice president. That looks pretty much more than an illusion. To me, that looks real.
3: Of course it does. Of course it does. And the question is not, does Hunter do drugs and love hookers? It's why was Joe Biden at the center of it? He had, Joe Biden had the only tangible business, and that was access to the inner workings of the American government and number one economy in the world. That's why he's with China, Romania, uh, Kazakhstan, Ukraine, and Russia. I'm Brian Kilmeade. Uh, Brian Kilmead Show is uh, up and running when we come back. Senator Tommy Tuberville at the heart of the big holdup in, uh, in Washington of all flag officers, all promotions until the Pentagon reverses its stand on abortion.
6: Brian Kilmead Show.
2: It's Brian Kilmeade.
6: Hey, folks, it's your man, Keyshawn Johnson, here to talk about Angie, formerly known as Angie's List, your go-to home services. we
7: <laughs>
2: The fastest three hours in radio, you're with Brian Kilmeade.
8: The extraordinary success of this mission was due to the incredible skill, bravery, and selfless courage of the United States military and our diplomats and intelligence
5: professionals.
3: The extraordinary success of the Afghan withdrawal, just maddening. I was mad about it when he said it then. And when Kirby reaffirmed it, he didn't just from his perch, he didn't see it. Well, if you saw those 13 families stand up and talk about the loved ones who died at Abbey Gate because of the suicide bomber who everybody knew was coming and it was in the eye of a sniper who was not allowed to blow him up. And then, of course, leaving thousands behind. Biggest disaster in modern American history. Never owned up to. The president doesn't want to hear about it. Those families can't forget about it. Senator Tommy Tuberville joins us, member of the Armed Services Committee. Senator, what was your reaction to what Darrell Isis set up yesterday, giving the families a chance to express their anger and anguish?
9: I thought it was a great hearing, Brian. It's about time they had their say. You know, these people lost their loved ones. Uh, of course, you can't get any truth. Uh, from the Biden administration, or his henchmen, whether in the cabinet or, or whether in the Pentagon, it's, it just makes you sick at your stomach. And you know, Brian, nobody's ever lost their job over this debacle. Nobody. And you know, the, in our in 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 our world, I mean, you do your job and you do it right. And if you fail, like. They fail. Somebody's got to go. But, uh, you know, it's all cover up. They cover up for each other. And it's just the mainstream media doesn't want to dig into it. It's just it's absolutely awful.
3: Yeah, we're not going to forget it. And soon, uh, if you guys get the majority in the Senate, you won't. Senator, everybody knows that uh, since Roe v. Wade was overturned, it's up to the states to make the decisions about abortion. And now the uh, Pentagon says we will fund people that want to go out of state if you're stationed in a city. Excuse me, if you're stationed in a state that does not allow abortion, we'll fund you to go. Because of that, you said, I'm going to hold up all promotions because of that. Can you shed light on where this standoff is heading? Because many people think, and maybe you don't, that it's sacrificing our military readiness.
9: Well, 60 percent of the people across the country Brian independence Democrats, and Republicans are not for spending any money towards anything to do with abortion. Now, uh, there's there's other things. It was we have we've had a, for 40 years. It was passed by the Democrats and Joe Biden, by the way, voted for uh, uh, this uh, military abortion policy, and it, it's worked great. There's no complaints, uh, rape, incest, and health of the mom. But you know, it's not just paying. It's also changing everything. We asked the other day in a briefing, okay, how far are you going to go along with this abortion? Well, how about eight months? They couldn't give you an answer. Nine months. Of course, it's going to be abortion at any time, and it's also their dependence. So we're going from 24 to three to four to five thousand a year in the military, and it's just absolutely sickening. It makes you sick at your stomach that they're just playing uh, Congress over in the Pentagon, and they weren't elected. But I'm going to hold these up. I've already told them. I think I think they're starting to believe me after six months that I'm not going to change my mind. But the American people don't deserve this. the The unborn doesn't deserve this, and we don't deserve them destroying the Constitution and going around. Uh, Congress, they want to vote for it, fine, and let's go whichever But they won't bring it to the floor. Schumer is scared to death of people in his party having to vote for this uh, right before an election next year. So, uh, but they're going to get stuck with it. Now again, I'm not holding them all up, Brian. They can do them one at a time, but they don't want to work at it. They they want to do 250, 300 at a time, and and I'm not I'm not going to allow that.
3: So right now, a whole bunch of people line up for promotion. I know you've had talks with the Secretary of Defense. Where are we at with that now? Are you scheduled to meet, and is there a compromise in between, or is this a black-and-white issue? Yeah,
9: it's just black-and-white. They're not going to change their mind. I'm not going to change my mind. Uh, we're going to end up with uh, probably having to do the, the generals and the admirals one at a time, which is I, I don't mind it because I've looked at a lot of them. I've vetted a lot of these generals and admirals, and oh, my God, been, you know, a lot of them are good. A lot of them are so woke, they can't wake up. I mean, and, and we we got to get that out of our military, Brian. Politics is killing us. Our recruiting's down. down. Uh, it's just an absolute debacle. I don't know what they're trying to do, if they're just trying to run our military in the ground the way it's—we've always had a great military. But it looks like it's self-promoting themselves and to do this ideology that nobody really wants— It's already in the other institutions, and they're trying to get it in the military. If they do that, I mean, our country's gone, as we we would all know it.
3: So last month, uh, you, Senator Tuberville, introduced a bill protecting athletes, schools, and sports, the PASS Act, the whole NIL. You know, we believe that somehow these athletes got to get paid. A lot of them never accelerate. Most don't accelerate past this high level they're playing. But the NIL, you think, is the Wild West. How do you rein it in respectfully?
9: The Supreme Court said they can make money. Certain individuals could make money off their name, in, image, and likeness if they can market themselves. It had nothing to do with going out and recruiting. Schools are now turn, turning into just going out and buying players. Sure. Transfer, yeah, transferred anytime any time. Uh, we, we can't allow that. Uh, you know. And I don't mind uh, these young men and women making money. I think they should. It's a hard job, two, two jobs at one time, academics and athletics. But the problem is uh, you have, you're have you having only a few make make the money and the other ones are not and what's going to happen at the end of the day the money is going to go to the players in these bigger sports the alumni is not going to give money to women's sports or olympic sports so we're going to lose athletics as we know it i mean it's just going to be downgraded and one thing that we've done right in this country is sports over the year it's created something that's really put values and, and ethic, work ethic and all those things in the young kids, uh, some that don't have parents. And so we can't lose athletics as you and I grew up and knew it.
3: So, yeah, we'll see if the PASS Act uh, will pass because they, I think these schools almost want to be reined in. They're like, please tell me the rules because if there are no rules, I'm not going to get that's beat. Uh, you're right?
9: Exactly. It's all about winning. And you let coaches do whatever. I'm telling you, I was in that business for 40 years. They're gonna they're gonna push it to the extreme. So what we've done, Joe Manchin, now we put a bill on the on in the Commerce Committee a couple of weeks ago about hey, these are five basic things that every state is gonna go by because you have got states like California that doesn't they don't want to go by any rules. They want to unionize their players. I, I mean, know it, it, it's it's a joke.
3: Senator it, Senator Tuberville, so many areas of expertise and, and a lot of drama on Capitol Hill. We'll see how this turns out. Thanks so much for joining us.
9: Okay, Brian, thank
3: you. All right, we come back. with Lieutenant Colonel Allen West, another man with great convictions and morals. Don't move. Brian Kilmeade shows. So glad you're here.
2: The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade.
10: Former president spent an hour or so talking about the economy blasting Bidenomics, reviewing his many successful accomplishments during the first term and laying out an agenda for a second term. Now, I have yet to see a media report on this speech, no doubt. Why do I say no doubt? Because Mr. Trump understands that the leading issue in this presidential campaign is the economy. And he has been hammering on the failure of Bidenomics and Proposing his own pro growth alternatives. This is all well over a year.
3: So that's what Larry Cudlow has been trying to do. I mean, Larry Cudlow has been trying to get the president, they're good friends, it appears, uh, to talk about the economy, talk about your accomplishments, stop with the other stuff. Now, it's impossible to not talk about the indictments, but in the last few weeks, if nothing else comes down outside Georgia, and it'll come, it'll be big. Uh, although, it's amazing. The president's approval doesn't really budge that much. In the beginning, the indictment put him up high with Bragg. Then the Mar a Lago documents gave him a little boost. This one keeps it pretty much flat. So he's winning by about 37 points. Uh, Boy, and he talks about issues. Will that, in fact, resonate? Lieutenant Colonel Alan West joins us now, American Constitutional Rights Union Executive Director. Colonel, welcome back.
11: It's good to be back with you, Brian.
3: Well, how do you feel about that? I mean, it must be a little bit frustrating. Uh, For Trump, he goes out and speaks for an hour on the economy. Nobody picks it up. They don't carry his speeches. But when he goes out there and starts railing against a judge, uh, they love to condemn it, which makes him the headline of all news and squelches the rest of the Republican field.
11: Yeah, I think what you have to do is is change the narrative and not allow the left to continue the bombardment on you personally and these legal challenges, but talk about their failures and especially the failures of the Biden administration. It would have been great to see President Trump talking about uh, Afghanistan and the testimony of those families uh, yesterday up on Capitol Hill uh, instead of, you know, going out there and bashing uh, Megan Rapinoe up about the head. I mean, she missed the shot. We got it. But that really has no impact on the everyday lives of American people. So I think you need to be talking about the gasoline prices. You need to be talking about what just came out uh, with uh, Secretary of Energy uh, uh, Granholm, where she's been meeting with uh, the Chinese energy uh, director uh, right near the decisions to drain our strategic petroleum reserve. So I think that you've got to force this, and you continue to do it, because the squeaky wheel eventually gets to oil and, and stop playing into what the media wants uh you to say and what the media wants to uh elevate start talking uh, but in the defense american colonel people. he that
3: that was the point of the, the soundbite is that he did talk
11: about the economy um well uh, i know and yeah. and that's what i'm saying keep doing it don't don't sit around and say well you know they're not listening to it. keep doing it because the american people are listening i mean the american people don't care what the mainstream media has to say we understand the game that they're playing so take your message directly to the people
3: Right. Uh, So yesterday, as you know, two o'clock in the afternoon, one o'clock in the afternoon, uh, Darrell Ice's hearing giving 13 family members a chance to talk about their frustration, anger and grief over the loss of 13 service members. Uh, Here's some of that emotion. Here's Darren Hoover. Talk about how this administration just ignores them and how the president and everybody
4: else lied to them. Cut 20 for the secretary of defense, General Austin. The head of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, General Milley. To say that they're satisfied with the withdrawal of our troops is nothing short of disgusting and ignorant. I'm calling out Secretary Blinken, Secretary Austin, General Milley, General McKenzie, Lieutenant Colonel Whited, who could not give the order to the snipers to take out the bomber Before he detonated his vest.
3: And as we know, that was telegraphed. It's coming, it's coming, it's coming, and it happened. Let alone the thousands we left behind. Your thoughts about that?
11: Well, no, you're absolutely right. This is the the greatest strategic operational and tactical debacle and failure in United States military history. This is worse than Kazarine Pass uh, when you go back to World War II. So I think that someone needs to be held accountable instead of them running around patting themselves on the back. But what is even more disturbing is that, you know, according to the testimony of one of the witnesses, that Joe Biden actually lied to uh, this woman when she when he told her that, you know, he and Jill could understand because, you know, they lost their son, Bo, and he had a flag draped coffin and all of that. Bo Biden died because of cancer. Bo Biden did not die because of the incompetent decisions of uh, someone that was the president of the United States of America to put his life in danger. And what is even more disturbing is the recent story that happened, I think, within the last week or two, that uh, one of the young uh, members that were Kill the family had to pay to move his uh, final resting spot into Arlington National Cemetery. If I'm correct, the uh, the government wouldn't even do it. But yet we have the Biden administration that wants to provide these uh, gender dysphoria transition surgeries to people in the military. So this is a horrific thing that has has not had closure for these families.
3: Yeah. By the way, his, his beau died after serving in Iraq. Great. Six years later, and Walter Reed of cancer. Now, there's people that say he came from burn pits. That's what the father believes. I don't know. You know, who knows? But I, I, you know, I wish he didn't die, obviously. But that is not dying in action in Iraq. He keeps saying this story, which is blatantly untrue. Does he have a staffer that tells him? Does he not know the difference between dying in battle and dying in a hospital six years after you serve? You're already Attorney General of Delaware. Yeah.
11: Yeah, it's absolutely appalling that he would try to, you know, make this parallel comparison of sympathy when really it's disregarding the loss of these people. And again, they lost their sons and daughter uh, because of his decision his decision that he thought was a great decision. So, again, this is something that shows his complete disconnect. And who will ever forget him there at the ramp ceremony when those young men and that one female uh, Marine, when their bodies were coming back home for their final resting spot, the ramp ceremony, when he looked down at his watch. uh, Many times. How— Offensive and condescending is that, and so again, this is a great thing that President Trump should bring out, and that you know he was at ramp ceremonies and he knows what type of honor honor and dignity and respect there should be. And again, keep bringing that uh, that point home. Yeah, uh, it's it's
3: fascinating. Time out of the eight, uh, or not eight or nine. So if Suarez gets on the stage, um, the gets on the stage on the twenty third. And if Trump isn't mm-hmm. there, what are you going to be well, – who are you going to be most intrigued to listen to? Who, who's piqued your interest outside the current frontrunner?
11: Well, I'm going to look and see who can articulate these issues the best and who can bring that you know strong constitutional conservative message. And, you know, if I were advising President Trump, I would tell him that he should be there. He should be on that debate stage. Look, the uh, the college football uh, rankings, preseason rankings are going to come out. And I'm sure Georgia is going to be number one. They're the two-time defending champion, only lost one game in two years. But guess what? That doesn't mean that Georgia does not have to play any games between now and the national championship. So I think it's important that if you're the the top dog, uh, you need to go out there and validate the polls, validate your ranking, and show people that you're willing to fight to be the president and not sit back and, uh, you know, have some popcorn and, you know, tweet about it. Uh, I want to see you on the stage, Mr. President, and I want to see you, uh, you know, show that you can answer any of the questions, you can answer and fire back uh, to any of the other candidates that are there I, I, this is not about a coronation and and uh, I think that that is the most important thing that should be happening so one thing that governor DeSantis is starting to do
3: now is is going to tough uh, contentious interviews here's one with NBC yes. as he's talking about of course the only thing Democrats want to talk about and that's abortion cut 36
12: we will be a pro-life president and, and we will support pro-life policies um, I would not allow uh, what a lot of the left wants to do, which is to override pro-life protections throughout the country, all the way up, really, until the moment of birth in some instances, which I think is is infanticide. Uh, well, is actually, not- I
5: got to push back on you on that because that that's a, a misrepresentation of of what's happening. I mean that. 1.3 percent of abortions happen at 21 weeks or higher. There's no, no right. evidence of Democrats pushing for but, but their abortions view is, up until their
12: view is is that all the way up into that, yet there should not be any legal protections. Uh, there
6: is no in the indication end. of now, Democrats right. pushing you're, you're for
11: right. that. Is who's right? Oh, Governor DeSantis is right, because in the state of California, and he'll be debating Gavin Newsom, I think, in November, uh, they passed legislation so that they can have abortions all the way up to the time of birth. And even they're talking about after birth. Who can ever forget uh, Virginia Governor Ralph Northam talking about after a baby being born that they should sit to the side and decide what to do with it? That's infanticide. Uh, and so he's absolutely right. But if you really want to turn the tables on the Democrats, ask them, why do they support, you know, the philosophy of a person like Margaret Sanger, who was a racist? She was a white supremacist. She spoke at Klan rallies. She's the founder of Planned Parenthood, and she is the person that referred to blacks as uh, human weeds uh, and, and, uh uh and other vile and despicable things. And you think about since Roe v. Wade, from 73 to 2023, over 20 million black babies have been murdered in the womb by dismemberment. And many of the Planned Parenthood clinics are located in black neighborhoods. So if you wanna talk about racism, uh, it seems to me that the Democrat party has adopted uh, a, a, a program of genocide against the black community. So let's, let's shift the narrative and put the other side on defense.
3: All right, and lastly, at the border, people are saying the border has slowed down, although Tucson is, uh, uh, is getting up to all-time highs. If you look at these cities, can you believe, Colonel, we used to talk about border cities? But now we're looking at New York City, we're looking at Chicago, Philadelphia, and we're seeing overrun 10 cities of illegal immigrants. we got over 100,000 yeah. people coming through here right now, and they used to blame your governor of Texas. They can't do that now.
11: No, they can't blame the governor of Texas. They have to look at the person that changed the policies, and that's in the White House. They need to blame Alexander Mayorkas. And and again, things aren't you know really getting better. It's just that this new app that the Biden administration has unconstitutionally come up with that allows people to do all of their applications and paperwork while the, they're south of the border, and then they're able to come through the port of entry saying that, hey, I've, I've got my get-out-of-jail-free card and I can come into the United States of America. We're still bringing in, you know, hundreds of thousands of illegals, and it's just not right. And uh, Michael Young, the great war correspondent, has uncovered this uh, place that they're calling Abbott City, which is supposed to host about 200,000 illegal immigrants, uh, a city being built just north east of Houston. So we still have big problems. We have problems with the human and sex trafficking. We have problems with the drug trafficking. We have got to have people that will shut down and secure our borders and make sure we allow ICE and we allow the Border Patrol to do their constitutional duties.
3: All right, uh, Colonel, always great to hear from you. Thanks so much.
11: Thank you, Brian. Go
3: get them. All right. Thank you. one 408 7669 When we come back, I'll be able to open up the phones and get your comments. com. We have a lot more to discuss. I did not get into detail about uh, Edward Sherwin. Uh, we Eric Sherwin, I should say. He's another major player in this Biden family business, a business he never should have been in.
2: Politics, current events, and news that affects you. Brian's got a lot more to say. Stay with Brian Kilmeade. He's so busy he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade.
8: Worst part us, I remember rooting for him as a kid, and I was older than he was. <laughs> Dusty, it wasn't easy. People counted you out saying you're past your prime. Hell, I know something about that. So
3: big laugh for President Biden as he had the Houston Astros, the reigning World Series champions, and Dusty Baker as the manager uh, come through. And they now have Justin Verlander, sadly, as a Met fan. It's hard to digest. Uh, But the president's having a good time. No interviews, no time to meet, no time to ask questions. And for some reason, the media is okay with that. I think most aren't. They just don't say it because they know he can't handle it. Ronald Reagan used to sit there and take messages. They thought he was uh, and take, um, you know, free for alls with Sam Donaldson. And people thought, wow, he's kind of old. Don't beat up on him. This guy, if he can't handle the questions, then he can't make the decisions, shouldn't be making the decisions. But uh, that was yesterday. That was fun. What also is going to happen, the next person he sits down with, then I shouldn't be compassionate when it comes to this son. They should ask him what he's doing with his son's business. He is the business. He was the influence peddling that made this business a business. And that's basically what Devin Archer said. That's what Hunter Biden indicated. He wouldn't have the job without his last name. And the other thing, as I mentioned on One Nation over the weekend, he basically uh, lied to everybody's face and pretended he didn't even know what Burisma was. Well, we know that's a lie. One thing the Republicans have done done very well is unwind this whole thing. As I mentioned, Eric Sherwin was the money man. 36 times he met with the vice president. Is he still going to hold to the fact they had nothing to do with the son's business, never even discussed it with him? That's impossible. If you put this guy under oath, he's got to answer that question. And Kevin McCarthy is under a lot of pressure to go for an impeachment inquiry. Cut 10. We knew about
0: Biden going after the attorney general because the, he did that in his own words. We never knew because we just now got this, what, just a week ago from Devin, saying that they were being pushed from Burisma, saying we need to do something about this. What was that in um, Dubai? We need and help behold, from D.C. Five days later, action are taken.
3: Yeah, and by the way, Edward Shokin is the guy that was fired. He was the prosecutor fired by Joe Biden, or else you wouldn't get your billion dollars. Famously, he spoke. Uh, he was spoke on the twenty fifth of July. Translated, if its uh, translation is accurate, he said the Bidens were absolutely the ones that forced him out, and that was his influence. And that he's very confident that he has nothing in his background that would warrant firing, except for an aggression to to rid his country of corruption. So we'll see where that goes. Now the number of Sherwin's visits. Is at 36? But the White House visits could be much higher. If any of the meetings fell under the White House voluntary disclosure policy, exception, quote, purely personal guests. So if you have a purely personal guest, your high school bowling coach, then you don't really have to have them sign in. Maybe it's a very personal guest, a guest of Hunter's 36 times there to see Joe. Really? How about lying? An FBI agent under oath lied about the knowledge of Hunter Biden's laptop. His name is a name you know, Elvis Chan. He made false statements about his communications with Facebook over the laptop. And that bombshell came out October 2010. It reports they revealed that Hunter was involved with his dad in this business. He says he never talked to a social media company. According to reports, Facebook is a social media company, maybe one of the first. The employee said on October 15, 2020, a message said he had spoken with Chan who said he was up to speed on the FBI's probe of Hunter's laptop and there was no current evidence to suggest any foreign connection in direction that he is. So he lied about connections to the laptop, to the social media companies, and he lied about saying that they then had no idea if it was Russian disinformation or not. Either that or he's lying to Facebook. More FBI reasons to be concerned. Incredible. I'm not sure without these major indictments that we would not even have most media outlets talking about it. But I must be frustrating for guys like Tony Bobulinski, because he was the one who said this two years ago and even mentioned the others that they're involved in it. And they thought that they were about to get screwed, but they did not know that everybody in the media would just shut up about it. They didn't know the vice president would become president of the United States and that Donald Trump would be hit with indictment after indictment, even now, trying to swa- to swamp President Biden just coming off vacation in his news, his disturbing news. Make no mistake, President Biden was the business. He was the influence that they were peddling.
2: From the Fox News Radio studios in Midtown Manhattan, it's the fastest growing radio talk show, Brian Kilmeade.
3: i from 48th and 6th in midtown Manhattan. Heard around the country, around the world. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Clay Travis is in studio. We didn't tell him yet. He's on Fox Nation too, but we're being screened. <laughs> I don't know how he's going to react. Julie Banderas at the bottom of the hour, almost as nice as Clay. And we'll do a simulcast on FBN with uh, Stuart Varney. have a chance to talk about uh, what's going on in the presidential race. Uh, but first things first, we know that, uh, Clay, you're pumped up. Your book is now out this week, American Playbook, A Guide to Winning Back the Country, uh, from the Democrats. What made you feel as though you need a handbook for the Republicans to truly understand what's at stake and how to do
7: it? Well, there's a lot of ass kickings that have happened so far uh, in recent vintage. So I, I I get tired, and I know you're a sports fan too. I get tired of seeing political parties that are so worried about losing voters that they seem maniacally focused on trying to win basically everything by a last-second field goal. Uh, It's great when you're a sports fan if your team makes a last-second field goal. But if you keep losing it. And also, if you're always in close games, it's not necessarily a sign that you're executing the right playbook, Um, particularly if you know exactly what the opponent's going to do, which we do. Right. The benefit is Democrats aren't changing anything. They've won the popular vote seven of the last eight presidential elections. Uh, And so, again, to kind of put that into context, the only time Republicans have won the popular vote, uh, I believe, in uh, in the last, you know, 25, 30 years is 2004. Uh, So that's pretty crazy to think about.
3: But if you look at that map, it's mostly red. Yeah. If you look at the map uh, where Republicans have done, I mean, they take Ohio it's basically theirs now. Florida theirs, unless they have. Some real bad leadership, or the Democrats come up with the next incarnation of JFK, which they have not. Um, you know, they've given up on California, they've given up on New York, so it's, yeah. things have really changed. I mean, can you imagine? You know, look at how well, look at how substantial Nixon won. Yeah. Look at how Reagan won. I know. Is that
7: ever going to happen again? Well, that's the focus of my book, and uh, I feel like probably everybody listening to us right now, Brian, grew up. A large percentage of people did seventies, eighties, nineties, early two thousands. And the way that I would define that era is most people got along despite our differences by and large. The 80s, whether you were a Democrat or Republican, you thought Ronald Reagan did a pretty good job. In retrospect, I think a lot of people look at the Bill Clinton era. And even in the middle of the Clinton era, you might not have liked his uh, proclivities with Monica Lewinsky and and all those shenanigans. But in terms of actually running the country, he ran it as a very kind of -of middle-of-the-road president. And so the thesis of my book – is that Jimmy Carter was an accidental president in 1976 brought on by Watergate. I believe Joe Biden is an accidental president in 2020 brought on by COVID. I I think Trump would have won a landslide election before COVID.
3: No question. I mean, it's almost like a war. It's like what happened without the war he wouldn't have won. Uh, I think you're right about that. But can you go back to Clinton a second? Yeah. So what Bill Clinton did is said, okay, I lost the House, I lost the Senate. I have to make deals. Could a Republican president make deals and still be popular? Does he have to? Do you follow me? If you're not, I'm a conservative, but yeah. listen, I, I have a Democratic House and a Democratic Senate. What do you want me to do? I go make deals. Would he be a persona non
7: grata in Republican Party today? Well, remember what Clinton did. I'm in New York City with you right now. The National Debt Billboard back in the late 80s, early 90s was a huge media signpost, and the idea was – we are never, ever going to be able to balance the budget. They actually had a surplus. And, yeah. and it's crazy for people out there who are young to even remember it. And he did that with the Republican Congress. Brian, think about this. But they when the had t- to
3: give in. He said, okay, if we cut this, yeah. you, know, you do that. But
7: think about this. The Tea Party rose because we were $10 trillion in debt. We're now $32 trillion in debt. Almost all our revenue goes to interest. And the higher interest rates go, the more difficult it becomes to balance the federal budget. The, think about it this way. Nobody would buy stock in the United States government if the United States government was a company running the losses right. that we are right now. And, and what's wild and unfortunate, I think, is uh, we spent more money, even adjusted for inflation, on COVID than we did World War II. That blows people's mind. That right. Stat. And we didn't have it. We actually Correct. printed it. We we borrowed right. that money. Uh, And it's one thing if you borrow money to beat the Nazis, it's another thing when you borrow money to try to deal with a virus that 99.9% of people, even if they got it, as almost everybody did, we're going to be okay.
3: Which goes back to the CDC, who maybe they did sincerely, but they misled us. Yes. Uh, Maybe they thought, well, this is the only thing we could do is I have to tell the American people to stay home outside. Clay, Travis, and Brian Kilmeade, who got a chance to work with the lucky ones, had a chance to continue to work and broadcast from home. A lot of people were told, "Yeah, you work for MetLife, your insurance agent. That's go right. home. You're a car dealership. You know, you're a mechanic. We don't need you. Don't worry, no one's driving anyway. You work on a railroad. No one's on the railroad anyway. There's no reason to fly. Stay home. But we'll pay you because you know you have bills yeah. that are going to come in." So what happened? It got extremely excessive, and the abuse is, is rampant. And now I'm left with a huge bill. And the Democrats, led by Joe Biden, had looked at it as an opportunity to transition the economy. To a green economy, which we're not ready for, and we can't afford.
7: Yeah, it's, it, it's. I think, the the for my generation and a lot of people out there listening, I think it's our Vietnam War. Government lied to us, got a lot of things wrong, created a tremendous amount of distrust. And I think there is a desperate demand in America for authenticity and honesty.
3: You know what the difference is between the Vietnam War? You were allowed the protest, and that's where you stood, right? Yeah. Ron Kovic, born on the 4th of July, was fought in the war, right. came back. Tom Cruise played him, and then, and then you, you stand over here. I, I, dra- I dodge a draft. Okay, that's where you stand. I, yeah. I'm going to make my opinion on you. You, you served. Okay, fine. I'm going to have my opinion on you. But there was no third social media entity vilifying, shadow banning you, or banning you, ostracizing you because you disagree with the government who's got dicey facts at best.
7: Remember when a lot of people were done with lockdowns, and you mentioned earlier, I think it's worth reinforcing, the government told us what businesses were essential and non-essential. Which is one of the biggest lies we've ever been told. Because anybody out there who owns a business or works at a business knows that every oh, business is essential. my dry cleaner doesn't essential. matter. You yeah, know,
3: my deli doesn't matter. Yeah,
7: that's right. Um, and my w- church doesn't matter. When you look at, uh, at at all of those lockdowns and the lies that were propagated that 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 allowed that to happen, ultimately, what did they do? Everybody passed the bill. Democrat side, they said, "Oh, we're deferring to the CDC." And then the Dr. Fauci's of the world will say, well, we don't make policy. We just make recommendations. And ultimately what happened was everybody dodged responsibility for the decisions that led to schools being shut down, which is, I think, the single most disastrous aspect of all of this. The kids who most desperately needed to be in school were not allowed to be in school for the longest period time. They went home to go time. study
3: online with laptops they didn't have.
7: Right, and with Wi-Fi, they don't have at the house. Right, with parents that weren't able to be there to be able to watch them from one moment to the next. I mean, Democrats focus so much on equity; they don't even talk about equality anymore. The least equitable outcome in any of our lives was what happened when we shut down schools.
3: So Clay Travis is here. Uh, Clay is excited, and he should be. His book is excellent. It's more of a it's a handbook on how to get back in the game using your sports background, along with your political knowledge and great opinions. American Playbook: A Guide to Winning Back the Country. From the Democrats so let's talk about uh, the strategy and that yep. is the Republicans now have uh, eight on the stage on the 23rd. I saw that and it looks like Suarez is on the cusp of doing he's going to be joining us tomorrow on the radio but he got the hard part he got the 40,000 donors yeah. he just needs the percentage and outside the Uyghur comment, the guy's got talent <laughs> and hes certainly got the background and he's got a track record in Miami so we'll see if that happens. do you if you were working for the president, if you were his chief of staff, Would you tell uh, the 45th president to show up at that debate?
7: I would tell him not to show up. And I understand for purposes of what we do, it's infinitely better if Donald Trump shows up at the debate. So selfishly, I want him to show up. The lead that he has right now, I don't know that he stands to gain at all. And here's the other thing I would say about that. If he doesn't show up, then everybody's going to tee off on Ron DeSantis because they're going to try to climb up to number two. So, I actually, if he's there, then I think there will be some people who take shots at him. Certainly, Chris Christie, others that are basically running campaigns to try to derail. will stare Trump. in the
3: camera and talk to Trump.
7: That's right. Um, so, I think uh, I would advise him, given the 30 point lead that he has right now, that he doesn't need to come. Let me say this as a caveat he's in trouble, I think, Trump, in Iowa. I think he's going to have somebody who rises up because he's not spending that much time in Iowa. Put down the governor he's taken shots at Kim Reynolds the governor of Iowa and i think Iowa is a more conservative caucus electorate than uh than the other states and it would be interesting if someone were able to grab that mantle uh if trump wins Iowa and he wins New Hampshire this thing's over uh before you even i mean because you know he's
3: got South Carolina
7: and he's got Nevada Right. So that would be it would be over before we even got to Super Tuesday or any any other area like that. Uh, but uh, to me, I would advise him if I were if I were chief of staff, I don't think it makes sense to go.
3: What do you think of this stat? 45 percent of the country, 45 uh, percent of uh, Trump voters would change their mind if he was convicted on any of his
7: indictments. I don't buy it. I, 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 so I first of all, I think you saw that study. Though. Yeah, I, I think that uh, if you look, every indictment has less of an impact. Every bite of the apple, the number, uh, the the Google traffic, the st- articles, they all peaked with New York City. You'll get little blips. You got a blip with uh, Miami, South Florida. You got a blip now with J- Jack Smith and D.C. Whatever happens in Atlanta will give you a blip. But I think a lot of that's baked in, and, and I think a lot of people understand that this is such a political focused prosecution right. that they anticipate convictions. So I, and I also, by the way, I don't think that we will be able to complete those cases, those trials, before the 2024 election. Maybe New York City, which I don't think most people are going to care about. Uh, but, you know, the Gene Carroll civil lawsuit, which nobody even cares. I mean, it, it, I think people have their opinion already made Except of if he goes to,
3: if he goes to jail.
7: and well, if, But I don't think they can. First of all, this sounds, I was just talking about this with some of the guys in the building. It sounds like a really bad sitcom pitch. President goes to jail with the Secret Service. I mean, that seems like yeah, something you would watch in the 1980s. Yeah. Uh, I, I can't imagine that, that they're going to allow uh, the president to uh, to go to jail. So I, I look. This is the lawyer in me looking at the charges. I think the Jan. Six charges, the conspiracy charges. I think they're garbage, um, and I think they'll get tossed by the Supreme Court. Uh, I, I think South Florida. He's going to have a jury that actually benefits him, and so they won't. So, with your
3: law background, what I've been told is, if he is convicted on the January sixth charges and they go first, he goes to jail while they appeal.
7: Well, they'll try to take him away, right? I don't think that they can get now. Maybe they'll try to fast track it, but I, if you look at the typical roadmap for January, it takes 6th two charges, to three
3: years to get that case right.
7: ready. So, it would be almost impossible for them to get that case done and adjudicated before. Uh, the election happens, and before he would be sworn in. Uh, now, if he loses, if he were to lose the election, I'm curious whether the prosecutions would continue. Honestly, because I think if Biden won, there's a chance. If Biden, let's say Biden's running or another Democrat, I think there's a chance they would actually go ahead and pardon Trump. I or really he'd do. pardon himself. Well, if Trump wins, he's definitely going to pardon himself. But when I'm saying even the if the problem. Democrats win, if Biden wins, uh, and he knows he's never going to run against Trump again. It would actually be. Uh, oh. I, I think he might. I think he might pardon him.
3: You have uh, you're a much nicer guy than you seem. <laughs> There's no way I think Joe Biden. I don't think Joe Biden. He here's the thing is, if Joe Biden wins again, I don't think Joe Biden's a nice guy. I think he has a. I don't think I have any compassion for him. I think he's a mean guy who continues to lie to your face. Yeah, I know, and he hates Trump more than life itself. He would revel in putting the 78 year old behind bars. But Clay Travis, his book is now out, American Playbook. A few more minutes with Clay when he comes back. You're to The Brian Kilmeade Show.
2: Both sides, all opinions. It's Brian Kilmeade. Information you want. Truth you demand. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show.
0: Just finished a day down here. Uh, visiting North Dakota National Guard Mm -hmm. troops at the border, uh, doing interviews with the national media. Uh, We've got people in the background behind us crossing the Rio Grande. uh, And I was in an interview where the first three questions were about indictments. Uh, it's, It's just incredible to me that the mainstream media, other than perhaps this channel and a few others, are even interested in talking about the issues that every American's worried about. There. That's Doug uh, Bergram,
3: and he's a very talented guy. He's governor. You probably have not heard much about North Dakota. Self-made multimillionaires doing a great job in that state. Conservative, friendly, good good approach. But all everyone does to the, everybody is talk about Trump to them. What do you think about Trump? What do you think about his indictments? What do you think? Nobody talks about what happened in Afghanistan? Nobody talks about Bidenomics. Clay uh, uh, Clay Travis knows all about that. The founder of Outkick. He's also the author of a brand new book, American Playbook. So, Clay, the frustration from these candidates yeah. is apparent. That's as angry as you think uh, Bergram will get.
7: Yeah. And and look, there was a, a poll question that I thought really kind of epitomized this. And it was Trump versus DeSantis. They said two things, and, and I, I'm curious how you would break this down. And the numbers are not going to be 100% right, I don't think, but uh, who's more fun? Trump won uh, 54 to 16 uh, in the poll. I think that Absolutely. was New York Times poll. Uh, then the question was, who's more likable? DeSantis won 47 to 45. So huge majorities of people say Trump is more fun I- while simultaneously saying DeSantis is more likable. What that says to me is what, what I think you're hearing from that clip. Trump soaks up so much oxygen. Even people who don't like him think that he is fun. That's what those numbers reflect, right? Yes. And I, I, I just struggle. I, I imagine when, the, when, the, when they look at the data on that, how many friends do you have or does anyone listening to us have right now that is really fun And simultaneously not likable. Usually those things would go hand in hand. If you are more likable, most people would say, oh, you're more fun. I'd like to hang out with you. Trump destroys DeSantis on fun, but DeSantis is more likable. And I just look at that and I think, well, there's the race.
3: Uh, You've alerted me to this, but Ron DeSantis has now replaced his campaign manager. Uh, Genera uh, Peck is is in what is the... Third major reshuffling of his operations. Peck will be shifted to a role of chief strategist as part of a new order. Taking her place atop the campaign will be uh, James Utmeyer. Yeah, do you know both these.
7: I know both of them. And do you think it's a good move? Uh, I mean, I don't know both of them in the context of who's better. Yeah, I mean, like if you told me right now, hey, uh, we're replacing one football coach with another one. Like, hey, do you like Nick Saban or Dabo Sweeney better? It's usually like
3: too much winning,
7: right? Uh, I, I would be able to analyze the, the football coaches. Uh, James obviously has been the pilot of a very policy-driven and successful DeSantis uh, governorship. And he has been involved in a lot of different details from the get-go. Uh, he is a uh, super-focused, super-smart lawyer. And I, I would imagine that this means the DeSantis camp has basically decided This race comes down to Iowa. They have to win Iowa on January 15th. I think they are going to do a burn the ships strategy and just go to Iowa and try to own that state and believe that if they win that one, the caucus, that they will have a bunch of momentum when they skip over and go to New Hampshire. And so I would think they decided – this is just me uh, guessing – that James is the candidate, uh, the manager that is more likely to deliver a victory in Iowa.
3: And a lot of people are just saying, let me weather the storm. Let me lose, lose, lose. But I want to be there when Trump uh, gets nailed on one of these courts. But, you know, the problem
7: with this is that was 2016. Everybody said, hang on, I'll be the. It'll be me versus Trump. And then everybody will come to their senses and I'll win. The problem is. I think when you look at, let's say Trump has 50% of the electorate right now and the other 50% is for everybody else. The problem is when all those other people drop out, Trump's going to get a lot of that 50% too. So that that math is difficult.
3: You know what's not difficult? To go get your book, American Playbook, A Guide to Winning Back the Country from the Democrats. Clay, I will look forward to seeing you on television maybe this weekend. 100%. And all over the channel. And of course, great, uh, great job with your radio show.
7: And props to you. You're the hardest working guy at Fox News. I don't know that you get...
2: From his mouth to to your ears, ears. it's Brian Kilmeade.
0: If you are going to hold the leading presidential candidate uh, to a trial date in the middle of the presidential campaign, you're going to have to afford some leeway for him to be able to discuss the case because everyone's going to discuss the case. And I think this motion is tone deaf in that sense. Now, look, I don't agree with what the president has been posting. I think that that uh, posting that you noted... Uh, was really ill-advised. It, it, it couldn't have come at a worse time. But I think that there's a point here that if you're going to try the leading Republican candidate for the presidency during the presidential election, he's going to have to be able to talk about this case.
3: All right, uh, Julie Banderas, with us right now. Julie, it's amazing we don't have uh, we don't have rich law backgrounds uh, between us. But to tell a guy who's running for the president and leading, you know, you're not talking right. about. Uh, Asa Hutchinson, right. This guy's leading to not talk to eighty. Like there are so many people in his life that he was told not to talk about the case with, and they're saying don't talk about this publicly. But but you can watch CNN, MSNBC, talk about your case publicly. It's impossible. Yeah, you can't have an indictment, presumption of innocence, and then have these limits. On the on the person,
1: I heard you yesterday morning talking about this on Fox and Friends, and you, we're not just talking about any person here. We're talking about Donald Trump, and this has been his whole entire platform since before he was elected president. He is a social media giant, and that is how he communicates to his followers and his fans and his supporters. So that's his only way of communicating with him, with them. And if he wants to communicate his innocence or whatever the heck he wants, that's your freedom of speech. So what's so interesting is the president
3: says he was referring to responding to Joe Biden's tweet that he put out there that said a cup of Joe never tasted better and he he held up a mug that said yes. Dark Brandon. Dark Brandon. He said, you come after me, I'll come after you. Then Jack Smith says, I feel threatened. I want to limit what he gets. I want to limit what he says. Listen, you're in trouble there. You're going to be in trouble in Florida with that judge and the other judge is going to have a hard time siding with Jack Smith because the president will, 77 years old, running yeah. for president, he'll violate that on a daily basis. Are you going to arrest the front-runner for President of the United States, and not divide the country and rip it apart, you're going to put him in handcuffs because he said something provocative? It's
1: another double standard. I mean, because so the president, obviously, of the United States that's currently in our White House can't be muted, um, and so he can say whatever he wants, but that means that his contender, the person he'll be running against for president, can't rebut. I mean, that's the whole point of these campaigns. He's got to be able to rebut, or otherwise, he's going to have to sit silent and let his contender basically run all over him. That's not the way election
3: Um, So we see Judge Eileen Cannon of the Southern District of Florida wants to know from Jack Smith, why do you have a grand jury in D.C. uh, and one in Florida? What is the point of that? Why do you still have it done? You've already got your indictment. Why do you still need your grand jury? What kind of answer does he have? I can't wait to see that answer. But, of course, it will be marginalized because Trump uh, appointed Cannon. The other woman, off the charts, an Obama donor, worked at the same firm right. as Hunter
1: Biden, yeah. and who goes after January 6th, people? Yeah. No, this is, first of all, the Trump's, Punisher, Trump's attorney, who was on your show yesterday morning. Did you notice, I actually listened to your show, like, in its entirety I'm really Did you
3: know you were coming on? Or was, you just I didn't did even that?
1: know you were on Fox and Friends until yesterday morning. Right. Yeah, it was he, a good show. They
3: took cable out of your house? Was yeah. that a quote order? Yeah, they
1: did. Yeah, right. I've been buried under a rock. No, I listened and it, I thought it was interesting that she talked about, you know, the Trump attorneys are saying there's no way he's going to get a fair trial in D.C. They want to move it, possibly, right? Um, The indictments were in D.C., but, I mean, when you talk about political bias with these judges, okay, they want the judge to recuse themselves. Well, the only way for a judge to recuse themselves is by that judge's decision. Nobody else can decide for a judge if they're going to recuse themselves. If a judge is politically motivated, why in the world would a judge ever recuse themselves? Something's wrong with the system. There needs to be oversight over these judges. I believe that these judges have way too much power, especially when it comes down to politics. Lawyers and judges should obviously be able to play down the middle. But I know it's impossible. We all know it's impossible. So
3: how about this? Evan Corcoran, who was forced to testify against Trump as a his lawyer, is still on his legal team. So he gave notes to the prosecutors and a roadmap. They say to indict Trump. That's what led to the indictment. They say more than anything else. He remains on Trump's legal team. Is he supposed to not talk about the case with Evan Corcoran? Of course, he's going to talk about the case with Jason Miller, his key advisor. Boris Epstein, who's been there every step of the way. I don't care what you think of the case. I have no interest who you're going to vote for. Don't tell me that no one – please don't tell me that you've thought this through. Right. And they, they clearly have it. Now in comes Georgia, that case. You yeah. know, the president's going to be speaking about that in Georgia Absolutely. multiple times.
1: And that most likely that fourth indictment is pretty much guaranteed to be coming they down. They set the up the barricades is, around know, the courthouse already. They're ready for it. Right. And obviously this is because, uh, you know, another politician wants their 15 minutes of fame and obviously they're going to get all this attention. But it's just a double standard once again, because you can't not. You cannot tell somebody like President Trump that he can't speak. I mean, he has every right to speak up for himself. And as far as Democrats, I just want to get to the cameras in the courtroom thing because this thing just burns me up so badly. You know, they don't want the president to speak on behalf of themselves, but they want to bring court. They want to bring cameras into a federal courthouse. That never happens. Why? Because they want to deter. They want to distract from the White House. They want to distract from Biden and his good point. Ugly. Good Uh, administration and the fact that he doesn't want to campaign talking out of two sides of their mouth. It is such a distraction. And
3: the one thing that will happen. So let's say you think Trump is 100 percent innocent. The one goal that Democrats will achieve if these trials take place before the election, it'll be like a mini pandemic pass for Joe Biden. Hey, I'm running the country, man. I'm not going to go out there and campaign. There's no guy doing 45,000 seat arenas, getting great momentum in all the right. battleground states because he's stuck in court yeah. trying to defend himself, right. which would allow the president to say, I'm busy. I'm, it's not even a candidate. Yeah. I'm busy doing the presidency. But we were talking about all this. Sal Weisenberg, a former White, uh, Whitewater deputy uh, independent counsel, on with Laura last night, talked about what the judge said yesterday in Miami. Cut four.
13: She's also said, wait a minute, I want an explanation for why you're using the D.C. Grand Jury uh, uh, for post-indictment matters in Florida. So there are two things that she's interested in here. Number number one, you brought this case in the Southern District to Florida. Uh, Why are you using the D.C. Grand Jury related to that case? Number two, once you indict a case, the law says you're not allowed to use the Grand Jury Uh, use a grand jury to gather evidence for trial. But he's doing that.
1: Isn't this crazy? It's not crazy. That's, That's the sad part. It's not crazy. I mean, are you surprised? Absolutely not. They're going to use everything that they can against him. And so and, and in Washington, D.C., certainly that's not a town that's very, uh, let's say, red. I mean, it, it's not a town. that. And then imagine jurors. Imagine trying to find jurors in D.C. when it comes to down to this. That's impossible to find jurors that are going to be impartial. I mean,
3: you run the case for the appeal because your best hope is on appeal. You basically think you're going to end up with a, being convicted. But at that time, if you are convicted, are you bound to your home? Yeah. Or are you put in jail? So if Julie Banderas or Brian Kilmeade was tried in Washington, D.C., we'd go to jail until we had our appeal. Right. Would they put a 77-year-old presidential candidate in jail if this happens and they get a conviction, which is going to happen with that judge and this jury uh, before – I mean it's crazy. Before the election. Someone told me that it's impossible to do that because you can't have secret service in jail and you need secret service protection. That's a good point. So it might be at home.
1: But how do you campaign? If you, you can't, and that's exactly why they're doing this. I mean, this is one of the reasons why he's got a target on his back. I mean, yeah, he made a lot of mistakes, but there is a lot of political motivation behind this, and it's very disturbing to see when lawyers and judges allow for impartial you know, opinions to play a role in something so large, because this isn't just about Donald Trump. This is about the next election. Which
3: show are you doing later?
1: Oh, I'm doing Faulkner Focus at 11. Wow. Uh, you know, in roughly that's, that's uh, in a few minutes. minutes. Yeah, three minutes. Yeah, like in a couple minutes. Do you know who's minutes. on? on? Uh yeah, I do. I mean, I have to pull up my rundown. But I've got um Sean on. And Hannity? Uh no. I, I got to look through my rundown. You- you're actually doing oh, do this now. We have music just for we the have
3: like for this. This, right? We have plenty for this, right? I got Sean Duffy.
1: We're going to be talking about uh Eric Sheeran, you know, making 36 visits to the Vice President's office during his administration. Could be more. She- could be more. But I mean, it's amazing how. And then the letter that that President Biden Wrote to him, kind of thanking him for, you know, a very friendly dinner that the two of them had. These two were very chummy. You know exactly what was going on between him and his son. He knows exactly what his son was up to.
3: Right. Uh, there's no doubt about it. You can no longer say I know nothing about my friend, my son's overseas business 36 visits,
1: visits from uh, a, a, a business partner and of then, your son. And
3: then 20 visits with uh, Devin Archer. Yes. So listen to this. Andy McCarthy, legal guy. I was
4: shocked to hear him say this. You know, there's a lot of questions about... How often did Joe or did Joe talk about the business with Hunter? Was he involved in the business with Hunter? That gets the, you know, the cart before the horse. The business was Joe Biden. Access to Joe Biden. That is the business. Yes. There is no
3: other business. He was Don't selling I the brand. do know know about it, yes. but, but I'm the only one with access.
1: Right. But the word the brand. Okay. Right. What do you mean by the brand? The Biden brand. Obviously, Hunter Biden was using the brand, meaning his father, in order to help push through these business dealings. And his father clearly had to have known what was going on. You don't invite somebody back over 36 times. You don't bring back Devin Archer over 20 times. Does the
3: Faulkner Focus have music at the end of breaks?
1: To rap us like yeah, this? No, did, they that's don't. that's what's happening now. No, anymore. they don't rap us. They're not rude like you guys.
3: Right. So this is rude? Yeah. I think this is a general way of saying... I need you to move towards the door, almost like an usher. Like I'm just like, just use a hook. Gradually, little
1: bit of I don't it's like. Over. I don't like subtleties. You use a like, hook next time. All right,
3: she's gone. Julie Van <laughs> is done. Bye. See you at
1: eleven.
2: Now the Brian Kilmeade Show joins Fox Business's Varney and Company with Stuart Varney live on your radio and on Fox Business. Here's Brian Kilmeade.
3: Yeah, so listen, I always say this, but on the other side of the break, uh, just call one 408 7669 After I go on with Stuart, always, I try to keep a couple of minutes left so we can get some calls in, so that'll be great. Uh, so we'll talk about what's happening uh, around the country, especially in the World Cup. It's devastating to Fox Sports, but to have the Women's World Cup team out, I've never seen. Megan Rapino has been trending on Twitter since the moment she missed the penalty kick a lot of people are fed up with the anti-americanism with the taking the knee with the, with the attitude so let's listen
10: 1051 here we go that means it's time for Brian Kilmeade, who miraculously appears on the screen there right donald trump blasted uh, megan rapino after the women's team soccer loss over the weekend and he said and i'm quoting now many of our players were openly hostile to america no other country behaved in such a manner or even close woke equals failure Nice shot, Megan. end quote. Brian, i got to tell you, I'm with Trump on this.
3: I just wouldn't uh, personally. I know Trump is a master of the culture wars. I personally wouldn't weigh in. I I just would because we had so many uh, major issues at the border, so many major issues. We had those uh, those widows, Mm -hmm. those family members that lost loved ones in the Afghanistan withdrawal, the biggest debacle. If the president wants to score points, that's the best way to do it, the foreign president, that is. Uh, when it comes to this Women's World Cup team, I was there in 99. I saw the cover of Time Magazine when people cared uh, about that, and Sports Illustrated when they dominated, women's sports emerging, Brandy Chastain taking off her shirt. I was there. I actually covered the first World Cup ever that the U.S. would win. I watched China, Japan, Sweden, Norway, different times they emerge and challenged. But I've never seen a team so disjointed with a lack of cohesiveness uh, more than this team in I, particular, they didn't I seem to have the instinct that Abby Wambach and Mia
10: Hamm brought to the no, table in no, years past. But it wasn't just tactics. It wasn't just strategy. It was division. It, I, I think it was political division within that team. They were not a coherent, div, uh, uh, you know, unified unit. I think they were at each other's throats.
3: Right, and I don't think the world caught up to us. I just thought uh, we still have the best talent, the best athletes. I just think that that... Alex Morgan, who's a great player. Everyone won underneath Megan Rapino. and they let her go out front. They let her be the voice of the team, and others would take, Julie Ertz and others would take a step back and let her be the face of the team. Now, that's it for their era. They're, Ertz is retiring. Rapino's is going to yep. retire. Alex Morgan might retire, uh, and and then there's going to be a new generation. It's going to be Olympics next year. They're going to rotate the coach. But I've never seen more people say, I'm glad they're out.
10: That, yeah, I've never I in my too. life, ever well, in my life, period. Now, Rapino advertises for several companies, and she appears in those ads. You think we might have another Bud Light situation here? That's an interesting analogy. I never
3: thought about that That's severe. But if you think about it, if you remember her speech after they won the World Cup, it was vulgar. You got nine-year-old yep. girls sitting there at the Canyon of Heroes, and every other word is a, is a curse word. Yep. Uh, you see the way she kind of repels the fans, and you see how quick she is to take a knee and criticize the country. I'm not one of those criticizing the team because they didn't sing the national anthem. I don't really need to think you have to sing it. But when Vietnam shows more patriotism than you, a communist country that didn't allow right. women to even play sports 10 years prior— I think that's a lack of perspective, and I also think America has moved on. We understand we had that convulsion. We understand the pandemic. We understand the George Floyd. we moved on. We're coming together again in many respects, yes. especially on sports, the NFL. We're not dealing with two national anthems anymore. And I think that people say, yeah, it's about time you got what you wanted. Plus, she missed an easy sitter, and she missed a penalty kick. Yeah. I'm not saying it's easy to score in a World Cup,
10: but no, these are stuff that elite athletes do. Absolutely. Uh, I want to bring this up. Elon Musk, Mark Zuckerberg, they're gearing up for the big fight. But you, I believe, you, Brian Kilmeade, you got some fighting tips from Tyrus. I think we got some video of this. Did you learn anything, Brian? Yes, I learned
3: not to fight Tyrus. And uh, I I also learned, too, uh, that I am, uh, when it comes to the octagon, it's not our coaching situation, this is not going to happen. But it was a chance to lock horns. Tyrus and I have had a rivalry for years. And a lot of people want to see me get in the ring with Tyrus. I didn't have the time because we had a pickleball segment coming up to really go after him. So I let him <laughs> tend to dominate me early. Plus, I mean, he's got his Saturday night show and he's got to be on Gutfeld. I want to give him an. Like, A quick confidence, ego boost. And I think I was effective.
5: Exactly
10: what the video shows. Uh, uh, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I don't know what to say about that, Brian. (laughs) Just don't put me in the ring with anybody. It's as simple as that. Right. Brian, you're all right. Thanks very much indeed. Got to go. Go get him. Uh,
3: Stuart Varney, we're talking soccer as usual. Usually we talk about results and things that happen. But I thought Alexi Lawless put it brilliantly yesterday. And and I got to give Fox Sports credit. Uh, You hire people. And I'm telling you, ESPN, I don't think ESPN would have allowed it. In that, you know, you pay a lot of money for the World Cup. And when the women's team, when the American team does well, you do well. And you get bigger ratings. Now, right now, do you know anybody talking about the quarterfinals in the World Cup? Nobody. So if you're out there and critical of the women's national team, you're kind of hurting your brand and possibly costing yourself some money. So, Carly Lloyd, the minute the women tied it, go, go through the back door into the knockout round to the World Cup, they were kind of celebrating, taking selfies, and she ripped into them. And I thought, wow, that's pretty cool because you wanted an authentic commentator, a color commentator to be authentic and tell you exactly what they think. Now, if you watch some of these network, these team-owned networks, they're never critical of their team. Look at what Lawless tweeted out. Don't kill the messenger. The U.S. Women's World Cup team is polarizing. Politics, causes, stances, and behavior have made this team unlikable to a portion of America. This team has built a brand and has derived its power from being the best winning. If that goes the best winning, if that goes away, they are at risk of becoming irrelevant. Wow. That's pretty uh, that's pretty strong stuff. Knowing that Fox owns these World Cups and as the men's on the men's side, we're kind of used to internationals, and we don't expect the men to get, uh, you know, if they get past the knockout round, it's considered a victory. Until they until the World Cup comes here, then we'll raise our standards. But for the women, when they get knocked out in the before the quarterfinals or in the quarterfinals, it's devastating. And to see the leading commentators in the country be that honest and candid, I think that's a credit to Fox. Meanwhile, uh, make sure you listen to the Brian Brian briankilmeachow.com. If you ever miss it live... I want you to be able to get the podcast. And also, you can write me anytime at Briankilmead.com Just click on comments, and I'll see what you have to say. Uh, keep it here.
2: From high atop Fox News headquarters in New York City, always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi,
3: everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Me show. So glad you're here. Dan Bilak will be with us shortly. Member of the Ter- Territorial Defense Force of Ukraine, calling us from Ukraine. Elliot Ackerman, the bottom of the hour. A best-selling author. His latest book is called "The Fifth Act: uh, America's End in Afghanistan," which is not good. But you heard from the 13 families that lost loved ones in the bombing in Afghanistan on the uh, that re- horrible. Uh, exit from that country, which embarrassed this nation and maybe set up the uh, Russian invasion of Ukraine. They thought they can get away with it. Uh, Before we get to Dan, let's get to the big three.
2: Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three.
1: Number
4: three. For the Secretary of Defense, General Austin, the head of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, General Milley, to say that they're satisfied with the withdrawal of our troops is nothing short of disgusting and ignorant
3: darren hoover who lost his son a gold star parent ignored lied to and mischaracterized mission yes it's been two summers but we have not forgotten about the botched withdrawal from afghanistan and for the 13 families who lost a member they finally had their chance to voice their frustration their horrific exit was hurt our nation's reputation and at the center of our cratering recruiting
5: you will hear from the families number two the president said he had no involvement No involvement except dinners, phone calls, and 30-plus meetings with Hunter Biden's business partners. And all they talked about was the weather, we're supposed to believe? Wow, here you go.
3: That's Jim Jordan. Another piece, the puzzle being assembled around the Biden family business is making the president look more disrespectful and dishonorable every day. We'll discuss it.
1: Number
0: one. I think this motion is tone-deaf in that there's a point here. That if you're going to try the leading Republican candidate for the presidency during the presidential election, he's going to have to be able to talk about this case.
3: Trump on trial. Former president makes his case to keep his First Amendment rights from the January 6 trial, as well as the Mar-a-Lago documents case. And Jack Smith gets rebuked. So far, 45 leads all in the race for the GOP field and the nomination. It does not look like Trump will be on the 23rd on the big debate. Dan Bielak joins us now. Dan, welcome back.
14: Uh, thanks, Brian.
3: Hey, uh, so, Dan, first off, over the weekend, we saw some of the drone attacks on the, on the Russian fleet. Uh, that oil, oil tanker uh, blew up. I think they got the message. Moscow's been targeted, but so has Kyiv and so has Ukrainian sites. How would you characterize what's happening on the ground right now in your country?
14: Well, Brian, we're we're trying to take the fight to uh, to the Russians as much as possible. I mean, we've, uh, we're, we've we we've started a counteroffensive. We're running into massive minefields. Um, friends of mine on the front line are, are telling me that for every square yard, there's four layers of mines: uh, anti-personnel, anti-armor, and anti-tank. Um, it's uh, you know we we haven't uh, been provided with uh, with planes and and with uh, with enough demining equipment. And so we are we are a- trading them. We are going after their uh, their supply lines, their ammo dumps, their their their, am- their uh, uh, fuel dumps. Um, we're going after their ships. Um, these are these these drones that we're using are, are mostly Ukrainian-made, Brian. Uh, especially the sea drones. That's that's been a new new factor in this uh, in this war. It seems to have caught the Russians uh, off guard. Uh, and uh, we'll see how it changes uh, changes the calculation. Um, you know, the fact that they're bombing our cities and bombing our infrastructure is is, is reprehensible. It's a war crime. Um, nothing new, though. Uh, this is the way they've uh, they've fought this war since uh, uh, since, since since the get go. But you know the fact that they're that they're being you know we don't have enough again uh, anti-missile and anti anti-aircraft uh, uh, equipment and and, and and defenses to protect our ports and all of our infrastructure. Uh, we've seen them hit the, the grain silos in uh, in Odessa, um, you know, and basically pulled out of this uh, this grain deal that uh, you know was, was feeding uh, uh, 400 million people around the world. Um, basically, it's just Russian extortion, pure and simple. They can't win on the battlefield uh, so that uh, so they go after uh, civilian targets and they and they try to extort their way out and they try to make the Americans look weak
2: here
3: Here's one report from the field cut thirty eight
15: It's a marked change from the optimism at the start of this counteroffensive some weeks ago. But weeks in, Ukrainian forces encountering real difficulty. Russian forces have built and put up really a devastating defense there. So that as they look at the status of this war, but also the chances for significant progress, Western officials receiving increasingly sobering assessments. As one senior Western diplomat told me, they're still going to see for the next couple of weeks, this is describing the Ukrainian forces, if there is a chance of making some progress. But for them to really make progress that would change the balance of this conflict, I think it's extremely highly unlikely.
3: So when, when the president comes here, Zelensky comes here to the U.N., what do you hope his message is to, uh, to get what he needs to be successful?
14: Well, I really hope it's it's look look guys, you know, this incrementalism and and self-deterrence is not going to win this war and winning this war is in everybody's interest. It's not just it's just not enough for us because, you know, and we're doing the the dying and 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 the fighting, but it's it's in America's interest. Uh, to win this war. You know, food prices are going to go up if uh, if the grain isn't going to be shipped out of Ukraine. Um, we are going to see uh, Putin, if we're, if we're going to be in some way forced or, or try to force us to negotiate, um, all he's going to do is just to double down and, and, and to try to make America look even weaker. I mean, America has always uh, uh, won wars when it's been all in and your your previous uh, uh discussion about afghanistan is a it's a great uh uh lesson in what happens with uh, with incrementalism and you know we we it's it, it's not that we don't have the will and it's not that we we just don't have the means sufficient means to get this done. I, I don't understand why we're not given attackums, the long-range missiles. We could be taking out uh, their, their more of their bases and their dumps in Crimea. If we cut Crimea off, it means that their ability to wage war is is significantly, significantly curtailed. So, you know, th- this stuff about you know the Ukrainians aren't doing enough on their counteroffensive is you know we're doing whatever we can with what we've been given. Had we been given sufficient uh, equipment and and uh, uh, and armor uh, back in in late uh, in, in the winter and the early spring when we really needed it, we wouldn't have these these robust defenses that the Russians have put up because they had an extra three months to do it. Look, I'm not being ungrateful. We are, you know, we would not be anywhere in this ballgame without without the people's uh, the support of the people of the United States. But I just do not understand uh, some of uh, the decisions that have been made uh, at senior levels about, uh, about not giving us uh, weapons. I mean, the, 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 the Germans said, we're not going to give the Ukrainians long-range uh, missiles because they don't need them right now. Well, I mean, I don't know what, what, what war or what newscast or what planet they're, they're watching, but it, it ain't what's going on on the ground. Right. And, but I understand you know, I, that the U.K. was giving you long-range.
3: Is that true, Dan? The UK was giving you yep. long-range missiles. Yep. Did you get them?
14: In fact, the, U- the UK and the French have given us long-range missiles. They're called Storm Shadows in the UK and Scalp missiles in, in France. They're exactly the same weapon, and they've been used, Brian, to devastating effect. We've been able. We, are, we actually killed a general down in Berdiansk, uh, which surprised the Russians. We took out one of their command posts. Um, we're hitting things as far as the coastline now. So the, the, these long-range missiles, we know how to use them. We've been using them very effectively, but we don't have enough of them. The them would be an absolute game changer, and I, I really hope that the administration gives them to us because the, the sooner we get this done, the sooner we 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 have peace in Europe. And frankly, the only way you have peace in Europe, Brian, is to defeat the Russians dramatically and 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 decisively in ukraine there there's no there's no negotiated peace in this that gets anything to to that gives europe any kind of the security that it that it needs so it's how are you overcoming piece, the grain
3: how you how, how are you overcoming the grain purchases
14: uh
6: well, well, we're,
14: we're looking for other ways to 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 get the get it out whether it's through river ports in romania or or overland but you know you you can't you can't substitute a uh you know, a couple hundred thousand or tens of thousand ton uh, Panamax ship that can load this stuff. And, you know, it's crazy because the Russians actually did really well from the grain deal. We lost a billion dollars in revenue, uh, but still managed to move some about 33 million tons of grain out. But the Russian exports increased by 6% in grain and 25% in fertilizer over that same period of time. So this is just pure extortion uh it's you know this something they're saying we didn't get anything out of this deal is just simply lies and if their lips are moving brian they're lying
3: so we understand too you hit two bridges in crimea uh is that is that correct
14: well that's right brian and that's that's part of the strategy is to continue trading them cut their supply lines cut their ammo hit their command posts not allow them to resupply out of Crimea their their forces in southern Ukraine and, uh, and and into into the Donbas and you know it's having an effect it's just that you know it doesn't happen overnight you know and it doesn't happen in a in a in a space of a few minutes it's it's a cumulative it's a cumulative effect uh, that you know is 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 taking its uh, toll on the Russians. And, uh, and we, will, we, we will prevail, but it will take, it'll take longer. If we had more of what we needed, then especially in the air, uh, you know, we, we could do a lot more. You know, we were ta- taught and, and told that you need to learn combined arms warfare maneuvering, which consists of infantry, artillery, uh, armor, and air support. Um, and if each one of those represents a limb, we were basically told, you're going to have to hop on with one on one foot. Uh, good luck. And, you know, the f- lack of air support is, is just absolutely crucial. No modern army in the world has ever attempted this. The Americans, when they went into Iraq, flew 41,000 sorties over 30 days to defeat Saddam Hussein with 1,800 aircraft. I mean, it was devastating. And, and that's how you fight a war. But we, we have no choice. We, we have, right. We've got what we've got. We're grateful for what we've got. And We'll just carry on.
3: Here's one other report from the field, Cut 40.
15: But there's also a bigger picture issue here, realizing that just a few weeks of training, eight weeks of training in some cases on some of these new weapons systems, Western supplied tanks, for instance, uh, is not enough to instantly create new, highly capable mechanized units to successfully assault those Russian uh, defensive lines. Now, they still maintain hope that this could change, but it is a marked change from what I was hearing just a few weeks ago at the start of this counteroffensive.
3: So that that's really what you were talking about, right?
14: Yeah, yeah, exactly. But, you know, it, it, its you can talk about lack of training or we don't know how to use it. We, I mean, we we make this stuff. We adapt very, very quickly on the ground. And and that's what we're doing now. And it and you know, when we we did not anticipate or nobody anticipated the, the, the density, the insane density of of the mining. So I mean, if you're if you're we were doing everything properly as we were taught, it's just that, you know, we were driving over mines. And so we stopped because we're not gonna waste the, the, the limited armor that we have and we're gonna preserve the lives of our soldiers. So we're we're taking out their supply lines, we're going in and behind, but we're advancing every day. We're we're going I have friends going into foxholes uh and, and trenches with their GoPros and sending me just Horrific, horrific videos uh, about what goes on in there. Hand-to-hand combat in many respects. But we're we're not giving up, and we will not give up. And uh, you know, we need more stuff that'll help us get through those minefields, and longer-range missiles. And and I mean, I'm not even talking about the air support because that's not going to happen. Uh, but the longer-range missiles to 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 really hurt the Russians in in behind.
3: Thanks so much, Dan Bilak. Stay safe. Thank you.
14: Thanks, Brian. God bless you and the people of the United States. Thanks Absolutely, very much for your yeah.
3: help. Our audience very much behind you. one 866 408 Brian Kilmeade Show.
2: Giving you everything you need to know. You're with Brian Kilmeade. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show.
13: There is an inherent conflict between the kind of gag orders and, and restrictions on the speech of defendants and defense attorneys and the normal First Amendment uh, rights that, that we have. And unfortunately, the case law uh, set by the Supreme Court is is un- unclear all on this. They decided on a case-by-case basis. And most districts have a rule that says you can't make a statement. A defendant, uh, no party can make a statement that might impact the administration of justice and that's very that's very loosey-goosey and he's going to have to be careful about what he says on uh, social media
3: so i i just don't know how you enforce that Saul weisenberg not out there as a trump defender or offender but he spends most of his time in defense so if trump comes out there and says if you come after me i'll come after you that's a violation really what are you talking about you know maybe some at the uh megan rapino might uh, come back at him on a tweet and he might say that so what does that mean and then when it's OK for all these so-called experts to have sources to come forward to talk about how how bad Trump is and how how bad it is, the documents case and how bad the Alvin Bragg case is and how bad the January 6th case is. So when Trump fires back and say this is all a, uh, this is all a witch hunt and Jack Smith is a, a terrible person, that's overstepping or you just ignore it or you, or you just uh, become a battering ram. Have you met Trump? My sense is he's going to be as provocative as hell. He's going to be going after him every step that he can. He's going to go right to that line and not really care about it. And especially with the doc, I mean the documents case, he says, "Good luck, go prove it." And then they've got to get everybody that's been around him to and go after NaDA and try to get all these people to flip on him and these groundskeepers that might have seen something. You go ahead, you go take down a former president on on documents. I, I told you already. I mean, why, why take the documents? You run for president. Play a perfect game. Make sure everything's set. Uh, don't go involved in some complex international Middle East hotel deal. I'm about to run for president. You know, don't, don't get involved in anything. Let's, let's keep social media low for now because I'm about to run for president. I would not have taken the documents, right? January 6th never would have happened. I would say, okay, uh, I got a huge problem with that election. I'm going to go back. But the judge in the mar classified documents case demanded to know why the DOJ wants to use a grand jury from outside the state. And I don't think they have a good explanation for it, except for to try to convict the guy. So that's not the judge's job to make sure somebody gets convicted. It's to make sure they get justice. So why do you need two grand juries? Whose life can withstand two grand juries? Not many, I don't think. Anyway, uh, so that's Saul Weisenberg uh, weighing in. Others did, too, in terms of media coverage. Listen to what Kaylee McEnany says. She's been looking at other media outlets. All they're doing is going Trump
1: 24-7. They've covered the Trump indictments over a 39-day period, according to Newsbusters, for 500-plus minutes. Precisely zero minutes on Devin Archer in the Biden corruption scandals. You know, this is a big deal, Sean. Even if, you know, let's say you're delusional in the liberal media, which we know they all are. Even if you don't believe Joe Biden said anything on these calls, they discussed the weather. We all know that's improbable. You'd have to be an idiot to believe that. But let's say you believe all of that in the least. We know Joe Biden lied. He said he never spoke to his son. Uh, Now he's moved the needle. I never was in business with my son. We know that those are not true now. He lied, and the press won't cover it. It is a total and blatant cover-up. It is media malpractice. And the
3: only thing you could do is keep pushing forward with the story to make it too big to ignore. For the longest time, it was Trump's president. That's why he got all the attention. Trump's president. Well, now you got another guy that's president. And now you got a burgeoning scandal about stuff that he's did in the past that other people are talking about that work with him, not opinions of people that work with him, that work with him. And it's much different than the president portrayed it. At one point, you have to say to yourself, the guy's been lying nonstop, including about his son dying in the Iraq war. It was six years after he served.
2: A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade.
4: For those who had power over our military, know that they made a conscious decision that led to the chaotic and frantic withdrawal from Afghanistan. Ultimately, the president. Do what our son did. Be a grown man. Admit to your mistakes. Learn from them so that this doesn't happen ever, ever again. You all need to resign immediately. Our sons and daughters have more integrity in their little toes than every one of them combined.
3: Well, uh, that is a family member. And that is uh, Darren Hoover, who is a gold star parent of Staff Sergeant Taylor Hoover And they didn't even tell him honestly how he died. They said, well, he died on impact. It turns out he didn't die on impact. He was alive, giving ammo to others. He had a tourniquet on his leg and would eventually pass away. How you could not be honest about that is beyond me. Meanwhile, and not only did the president not admit his failure, this is what he said. Cut 15.
8: The extraordinary success of this mission was due to the incredible skill, bravery, and selfless courage of the United States military and our diplomats, and intelligence professionals,
3: unbelievable, but not to our next guest, who wrote a book about it, Elliot Ackerman, the New York Times bestselling author. His latest book is called "The Fifth Act: America's End in Afghanistan." Elliot, did you have a chance? I know you're doing a book tour now. But did you have a chance to see some of the families speak out yesterday?
8: Yeah. Um, yes. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Brian. I, I did, and I found their remarks uh, very powerful.
3: And it was as much sadness, more anger anger that they have not been told to. They see the ridiculous way in which this mission was called out, the lack of planning, and there's been no accountability. If I was to tell you in 2021, two years later, there'd almost be no accountability, what would you have told me?
8: Candidly, Brian, I I wouldn't have been surprised um, because, you know, as I write about in the fifth act, um, I was involved with some of the evacuation efforts and, uh, you know, there was sort of a a degree of impunity and a degree of uh, unaccountability that was occurring in that very moment. And, uh, you know, the most senior officials all the way up to the president just refused to accept conditions on the ground and to acknowledge the the chaos as it was unfolding.
3: What happened? Uh, have you been had a chance to look at, I mean, President Trump's like, yeah, I want to get out of there. There was no push in the American public to empty out Afghanistan because the war had kind of, you know, not that big of a deal. You know, it was kind of a holding pattern war. Uh, both, you know, President Obama said that's going to be the good war. He had a surge, but he was reversing the surge almost before we had fully had troops in there. And then all of a sudden, President Trump says he wants to get out there having talks without the sitting government. He loses the election. And then when did the wheels come off?
8: Well, I think, you know, first of all, it's important to keep in mind that the the withdrawal from Afghanistan had by and large occurred. You know, the years that I was fighting in Afghanistan, we had over 100,000 U.S. troops in the country. Um, By the time we get to 2019 and 2020, when President Trump is talking about pulling out the troops, you know, 90% of those service members were gone. We had less than 10,000 troops in Afghanistan, you know, and the Afghan army was doing a a decent job of holding its own against the Taliban. Um, Now, listen, we can have a whole conversation about whether or not that should have taken 20 years in the prosecution of the war um, over those two decades. Um, But the fact of the matter is, I think it was, you know, the decision to pull out every last American service member was extremely short-sighted when you just talk about, our strategy and our posture as a nation. But, you know, once that decision was made by President Trump and once President Biden inherited that decision and then owned it himself, I mean, he could have certainly reversed course And this sort of narrative that he couldn't is, is absurd because he reversed course in many other directions. You know, at that point, Um, You know, it was really a a fait accompli that I think this was going to be a disaster because removing all U.S. troops was this massive vote of no confidence in the Afghan government, and the collapse was inevitable. The question just became when that collapse would happen, and the Biden administration gambled that it wouldn't happen on their watch, that they'd be able to get all the U.S. Well, not only that, he said
3: said they had the largest standing army, one of the largest standing army, best equipped armies in the world. And that—that's he. And, and he know his general said, "Yeah, we—if you leave Bagram, uh, we're going to have no choice. We're going to get have to get everyone out. This whole thing's going to collapse." And he left Bagram anyway. And these generals that allowed him to do it, even though they advised separately, should have put their stars on the ground and said, "I cannot be author of this uh, of this this impending disaster." Why didn't they?
8: Well, I'll tell you one reason, Brian, is, and I think it's remarkable, is, right, you remember that, and I remember that, and I remember exactly what was said. But I think that President, you know, Biden and the powers that be, they thought that the American people wouldn't remember, that the American people had forgotten that, understand, that it had become America's forgotten war, and so that once they ripped off the proverbial Band-Aid, all of America would again forget. But I think what we're seeing here two years later is that many Americans have not forgotten Uh, And particularly those Gold Star families have not forgotten, nor should they.
3: Yeah, in fact, here is uh, Kelly Barnett yesterday talking about what happened at Abbey Gate and the loss of her son. Cut 19.
0: What kind of disrespect? What kind of hatred? For our military. What kind of mess? (sighs) Confusion, deceit. Lost, angry, sad, heartbroken, and disgusted. These are the feelings that the service members felt and are still feeling. These are the feelings I'm feeling, Taylor's dad's feeling, his sisters, his family,
3: his friends. And you go fight in these wars so you understand it, uh, uncover it. So you get it, and and the American people have reason to – the way you guys adjusted, the way they adjusted the battlefield in Iraq and Afghanistan, uh, the way they held and did so much better than the Russians with a smaller force, proved to the world that we're not looking to dominate. We're looking to prop you up to run your own country, and then unlike every other occupying nation, we look to leave, and people have seen that. You had a generation grow up and be able to read and write, women treated with respect, told. Uh, commendable jobs and positions begin to get the self-esteem somebody in the West has been able to do, and all that just is thrown in the street because a guy decides, I'm not into this.
8: One well, is this sort of preposterous idea that the only way to quote unquote end the war in Afghanistan was by bringing all of the U.S. service members home, that everyone has to come home for the war to be over. And if you look at the history of American war making, you know, whether it's the Second World War, well, we still have troops in Europe and in Japan or the Korean War, we still have troops in the peninsula. In fact, the only time The war ends when all U.S. service members come home is when we lose the war, like in Vietnam and now like in Afghanistan. So all of those gains, those hard fought gains were thrown away for an empty gesture, which is just to be able to say we brought all the troops home. So I think we were fundamentally thinking about this war in the wrong way. And as we concluded it,
3: the other thing is, I mean, we would have had uh, we would have had a periscope into the region surrounded by our enemies. You have Pakistan, you have China and Russia. And we had a chance to see what's going on with the burgeoning war on terror that's never really over. And now we understand al-Qaeda, ISIS have a big foothold there. Taliban is selling our equipment for profit. Uh, and, and this is OK. Our allies are either dead or running for their lives right now. We left thousands behind, and we couldn't even get the administration to pay attention. Don't you think Would, would one would think that that led to the Russians' feeling— that I could invade Ukraine and the Americans and NATO would do nothing?
8: Well, absolutely, Brian. I mean, you can, drop a, you can drop a plumb line from what happened in Afghanistan in August of 2021 to the invasion of Ukraine in 2022, because fundamental to Putin's calculation, as he's deciding whether or not to invade, is what the response is going to be from NATO. And let's not forget that the war in Afghanistan was a NATO-led war. And, you know, and why does the war in Afghanistan, why does the war in Ukraine matter so much? I'd argue one of the reasons it's matter and we pay paid such close attention to it um, is because as goes Ukraine, so potentially goes Taiwan and our greatest adversary, China. So as we're thinking about, you know, Afghanistan, and Ukraine and China, one of the advantages that Chinese will have if we ever fight a war around Taiwan will be the fact that they're fighting that war in their backyard and we have to fight it from across the Pacific. So wouldn't it benefit us if we had, say, I don't know, two or three strategic air bases in a country that bordered China? Great point. And guess what? That's what we gave up in Afghanistan.
3: And guess who now has the rare earth in Afghanistan? China went and did their contracts there. And guess who's able to crawl over Bagram? China. And, And, you know, the Russians made it. We fortified it. It's one of the biggest bases in the perfect location. And we left it. If you had spoke to the American people and say, hey, listen. We all want to get rid of Afghanistan, but it's not a shooting war right now. And let me tell you the advantages and why it matters for national security. After 20 years of an enforced education on terror after 9/11, we would have understood it as a country, wouldn't we?
8: I think we absolutely would have understood it, and I don't. And I don't think there were necessarily anyone in America clamoring. For this uh, full withdrawal from Afghanistan. And I think in many ways we're seeing how strategically short sighted it was. But in addition to being strategically short sighted, and I think what's upsetting so many Americans is there's also this just incredibly callous posture that's come out of the White House, in which they will not engage on the issue, or will not even acknowledge uh, how difficult it has been, not only for the families who lost loved left- ones left- on Abigail. But also for the veterans community in general, because when this withdrawal occurred, there was very little U.S. government support. The administration has wanted to wash its hands of this, and so much of the effort of resettling our Afghan allies has faculty fallen onto the veterans community and through sort of crowdsourced initiatives to try to take care of our allies that are here in the United States and try to get those out who are stranded abroad.
3: Elliot Ackerman, uh, his book is called The Fifth Act, America's End in Afghanistan. Can you bring us towards uh, the actual evacuation where the, uh, where the Taliban is moving towards Kabul and a callback goes to U.S. Uh, headquarters and says, what do you want us to do? Because the Afghan government is all left. It's going to be chaos. What do you want us to do? And we only uh, said, give me the airport, not stay out of the capital. Can you talk about that decision?
8: Well, certainly. I mean, we were in communication with the Taliban as they were advancing on Kabul. And and the Taliban, uh, you know, very much it was in their interest not to see total chaos in Kabul. They didn't want to fight an open war in Kabul and those streets. And so they asked the Americans, you know, how would you like to withdraw? And gave us the option of having really a much larger footprint in Kabul during the withdrawal. And we made the decision that we only wanted the airport itself, that the Taliban could have the rest of the city. And the result of that, that strategic Uh, miscalculation was that you saw this incredible chaos uh, around Kabul airport and ultimately the bombing of the Abbey Gate.
3: Yes. And there's nobody who would have convinced me that Trump would have allowed this to happen. His ego wouldn't have allowed it. As soon as it started moving, we would have kept our forces in place and we'd had a chance that they were all consolidated for the first time since 2001. We would have had a chance to wipe out the entire Taliban and we would have done it had they made a move. And I'm convinced of that, even though I was against those talks with Kalazad and Kappa and and company in Doha. I understood the sentiment. A lot of people felt the same way. But not to have the Afghan government there made them look weak and as if they were being sold out. So there's a lot of mistakes along the way, but there's no way I believe that Trump would have allowed that to happen. Uh, It's all in your book. Elliot Ackerman, thanks so much.
2: Thanks so much for having me,
3: Brian. Uh, The Fifth Act. Uh, Don't move. Brian Kilmich.
2: You're with Brian Kilmeade. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade.
0: We knew about Biden going after the attorney general because he did that in his own words. We never knew because we just now got this, what, just a week ago from Devin, saying that they were being pushed from Burisma, saying we need to do something about this. What was that in um, Dubai? We need and help from Five days later, action are taken.
3: And that is Kevin McCarthy's tough spot. You know, you don't want to overstep your bounds. You don't want to shelve it and, and, you know, put the whole country on hold and go for impeachment. But he might be going for an impeachment inquiry to get more details about the Biden family business. Rock listening on WNIS in Virginia. Hey, Rock, over in uh, Virginia Beach, I should say. Hey, Rock.
12: Hey, hey, how you doing? Great show, by the way. I just wanted to comment. It shouldn't be a surprise that uh, things are happening to Joe Biden because, in my opinion, his entire adult life has been spent in politics. And it was always someone smarter more capable of him that led him by the hand and hand walked him up the ladder Uh, i think the last guy to do it was barack obama and probably with a lot of help from valerie Jarrett, they covered for him and they kept him out of trouble and now that he's got the top spot he's the president i think he's arrogant enough to think he did it on his own he probably forgets the people that helped him, and He's probably not going to listen to good advice uh, because of that. He's, he's always had a hot temper, and he's always been sort of—he's uh, always looked down his nose at other people, you know. And if he doesn't have someone like Barack Obama overseeing and making sure he stays within the lanes uh, enough to cover for him, right? Block.
3: You know, a couple of things. You remember, he made so many gaps in his first term with Barack Obama. They put him on the shelf in the second. And then, you know, tragedy hit him with Bo Biden. Got it. But he was not going to get the endorsement of Barack Obama anyway. I think Hillary Clinton, after she left the Secretary of State, immediately started running for president. And Barack Obama was always either going to stay out of it or pick her. And he knew it because he's so limited. I think he's stunned. He Remember, Barack Obama didn't even pick him after he got into the race and he was getting buried until South Carolina, getting buried in Nevada because it looked as though Bernie Sanders – was going to win. And this guy at 30 wasn't sharp, at 50 wasn't sharp. In his 60s he was vice president is maneuvering to do this illicit business flagrantly overstepping his office. The business as Andy McCarthy just said today, the business that Hunter Biden was in was based on Joe's access, which is a ethics violation in every sense of the word. Here is uh here's what Jim Jordan said cut 12.
5: Twitter asked the question and the FBI says, yeah, the laptop's real. And then another agent quickly jumps in, a lawyer with the FBI, and says no further comment. Later in the day, they have another meeting scheduled that same day with Facebook at that meeting when they get asked the question. After they had deliberations, the FBI, they get asked the question, same question from Facebook, and they say no comment. And Elvis Chan testified in the Missouri case. He testified and said that was the only interaction he had with Facebook. But now with the internal documents we've gotten from Facebook, shows a different story. The very next day, October 15th, Mr. Chan has a conversation with the Facebook employee, an FBI, FBI agent, by the way. He has a conversation where he says, yeah, the laptop is real. Doesn't look like it's a foreign operation at all. But they still censor that story. All for Joe Biden.
3: They're stopping these stories to get Joe Biden elected. And who does he owe to do that? And why is so much money? It all began in China. They went into China, had a visit. They came back out with the second visit with money. And with. by the way, he went there with Secret Service. Why is Hunter Biden getting Secret Service in China? Alex in California.
14: Alex. I thank you for taking my call. I wanted to say that I think we should move past this uh, focus on our failure in Afghanistan. And we should accept the fact that the Taliban now controls the country. And the Taliban... No foreign powers imposing the Taliban on the, on the people of Afghanistan. It exists, this government exists, because the, most Afghans support the Taliban. We should unfreeze the funds that we have frozen and release them to the Taliban government and let them use it. And we should work with them as a partner to create a better place uh, for the people of Afghanistan.
3: Alex, I, mean, I guess you're looking at the Vietnam formula that we end up being allies with them after. The problem is I think communists and terrorists are a little bit different uh, and fundamentalists. And the way they treat women, the way they've uh, they hung up our allies by the thumbs and tortured them, I think that makes them ineligible for it. Uh, the way we left needs to be examined to make sure it doesn't happen again and make sure people know if you're going to do things like this, you're going to be accountable. That's the point. I know the Taliban's in charge, but I appreciate
13: your perspective. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, in these ever-changing times, you can rely on Fox News for hourly
15: updates for the very latest news and information on your time. Listen and download now at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.